It's just past 7 o'clock, and I love Monday nights. Because you know what you get? You get Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Got another big show on tap for you tonight. The uh, NHL playoffs are underway. It's arguably my favorite playoffs, Ira, just because the intensity, I feel like, is just unmatched. And I love seeing uh, long series go and how the teams change and adjust throughout it. We're going to have Randy Moeller right here of our uh, hometown Florida Panthers join us at 730. He's their uh, television analyst. And this is going to be an interesting interview. Randy played in the league, Ira, for about 20 years, and now he's been broadcasting for the Panthers for another 20. He knows it all. It's great. I'm glad to have him on. I've had him on before. I watched that game last night, yeah. uh, the Panthers uh, against Tampa Bay. It said game one, it seemed like game seven. The way the, yeah. You're just waiting for a major fight to come out, <laughs> and it was very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, these teams, the Panthers and Tampa don't have that many rivals across the NHL. They've both only been around 20 or so years. They're each other's rival, and they've never met in the playoffs before. This is the first time, so uh, it's going to be a really good series there, and uh, they're up. Uh, Tampa Bay is up one nothing now. Uh, hopefully, uh, the Panthers can level that out tomorrow night. Um, so, Ira, where have you been this week? You got out a little bit. I went out and saw the Heat play and uh, against the 76ers, went down there to Miami. And wow, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ready for the NBA. And, and this week was a, I think this week was crazy. We're going to cover so many issues. I, I have some people call and they say you talk too much. But I watch all these sports. <laughs> I mean, we had a horse race that I think was by most anticipated horse race I've seen in a while besides the Belmont in terms of Triple Crown. People were talking about what's happening with Medina Spirit, all those things. And I, I can't wait to see what the ratings were on that. But I think it's going to be great because it was a, a really fun time. It seemed like a good race. Sort of talk about the NFL. There's always something with it. Just mention Aaron Rodgers, but we're not going to be like ESPN and spend like a two hour show, <laughs> like one hour and 59 minutes talking about the NFL every single time. But there is some NFL. We have the NBA playoffs, and I'm pumped for the NBA playoffs because in the West, there's eight, nine teams that I think can win the NBA title, and in the East, there's probably six or seven teams that can win the NBA title. I think this is the most wide open it's ever been. I'm pumped for it, and I can't wait for the NBA playoffs to start. And we talk about the NHL. I watched two games. I watched two games yesterday. Mm-hmm. Both were exciting. The Penguins losing and, and the and the Panthers losing. And just the excitement of that. And you're going to see even weird things. I didn't realize that Toronto and Montreal haven't met. I mean, they, they're such a huge rival in Canada. They haven't met since 1979 in the playoffs. Crazy. So that's, it's, it's insane. Major League Baseball, we have something that we're, we haven't seen in 100 years, really, uh, with Otani and what the Angels are doing. And, and I'm going to go some statistics. But a really a good week for, for baseball, things happening there. Tennis, Djokovic Nadal for the uh, 57th time or 55th time they've ever played. Uh, just a, a tremendous match there at the Italian Open. Uh, then we have golf. We're getting ready for the PGA Championship. And UFC on Saturday night, one of the best, and I'm going to say, one of the best fights I've ever seen. Really? I, I was I was falling asleep. I'm tired. That I started watching that, and I was like, I'm rev. I, <laughs> the both fighters, Oliveri and Chandler, went in there. And if you want to see five minutes, this was Hagler Hearns. This was just five minutes of nonstop action. I could not believe it. You could not have scripted that and said, do this, do this, and this like professional wrestling. That's how it was. Such a great fight. It was a one round, two round. It was a two round fight. It was one of the best UFC fights I've ever seen. So just real quick, um, going to that Miami Heat game, you got to see something that I wasn't anticipating. So Udonis Haslam made an appearance that makes 18 years in a row, I think, with the same team. But he's got two technicals in a matter of three minutes, I think, and thrown out of the game, Ira. That was a little strange. I don't think it was that strange when you think of it. What they were trying to do was get under, they were trying to get some technicals because they got Dwight Howard to get a technical. He got suspended a game. Now, I know it gets resets, but I think I saw a lot of things like Trevor Reza and Embiid were jawing at each other. Well, if the trade is, if we're playing chess and the Heat have to give up Trevor Reza and the Sixers lose Embiid, we'll make that. That's a trade we'll make. And, and Adonis Housen for the backup center Dwight Howard, I'll make that trade too. So I think a lot of that was game to shit from the Heat because they know eventually if the, is that if the Heat end up playing the Sixers uh, sometime, we didn't know where, where it was going to end up. They're going to play the, the Bucks instead. But if they were going to play the Sixers, this was just, I think, sort of game, gamemanship. I didn't, I didn't think about it from that angle, but that is uh, pretty smart. Good, old UD is good, good for something. Um, okay, let's get into the Preakness. And like you said, I really think that this was going to be one of the Preaknesses that more Americans were dialed into than usual because there is a, l- a level of scandal around it. It didn't matter, though, because Ron Bauer took this one down over Medina Spirit. And I got to tell you, I was kind of happy for that. I didn't want to see Medina Spirit win and come back clean. And then Bob Baffert kind of justified a little bit for lack of a, you know, no pun intended. But just the fact that like, hey, look, I could do it without without steroids as well. Yeah, it was interesting. Medina Spirit, this is 
if it, Medina Spirit gets disqualified, and we had Michael Averone last week talk about how all the things that was crazy with Baffert with Medina Spirit. But in 1968, it was the only other time a horse was disqualified for drugs. Was I mean, it was, this is not just modern. 1968, mm-hmm. before a dancer's image uh, was given a drug and then failed the test, and forward pass was declared the winner. It was I, it was the biggest story of the day. People talked about it. Like I wasn't brown in '68, but I was reading about it, so they said it's a big thing. And Dancer's Image then ran in the Preakness and finished third. Forward Pass won, so Forward Pass had won the Kentucky Derby, had won the Preakness going into the Belmont, and had and lost. You know, it would have been amazing if it won the Belmont, yeah. had been a triple crown. Ended ended up Forward Pass ran in the Belmont and finished second. And then there was these huge court cases back and forth all over this in terms of suing. And even now, if you go to uh, Churchill's Downs, Dancer's Image is the winner. Like they on the thing, so it's 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 one of these battles where they had to settle like who was going to be the nouns going to be winner. And uh, by then, by, by seventy four, every the drug that Dancer's Image used, every all the horses were using it. So it was weird that that happened. But then we know in two thousand nineteen, Maxim Security was disqualified for mm-hmm. bumping. Country House ended up winning. Yeah, and that that was a strange race as well. Um, going going to this one though, I, I mean. Uh, Ron Bauer was not really on anyone's radar. I mean, a twelve to one is a, it's a pretty long shot, especially in a, a small field like that. I, I was happy to see, uh, you know, <laughs> happy to see some, some people make a lot of money off this one. Well, it was one of those. I mean, I had Ron Bauer, and then I had Midnight. Bur- I mean, I, I had Midnight Berman and Contratour Medina Spirit. The two favorites were the Baffert horses. I felt like they were the two of the best. I, I, we heard what Iron said Contratour yeah. was going to be better, so I bet them in my trifecta, and it, and I did. I got two out of three, <laughs> but I missed because I had Midnight. I had I, because Contratour did make it, whereas Ron Bauer did. And it was one of those races where a Midnight Berman and Medina Spirit had that lead, were running, and then Ron Bauer just came on and mm-hmm. like it was on the turn, and then it wasn't close. It was. It, it, about the speed, it was like acceleration. Like when you see someone biking and they put that electric bike on and they just go right by you, and that that was that was the type of speed. And, and Rumbauer is interesting. It was it was it's uh, trained by Mike McCarthy, and Mike McCarthy was a men, was a, a protege of Todd Pletcher, who's one of the top. What went into all just announced going to the Hall of Fame as a trainer, and so it was like one of the things that Pletcher's never won the Preakness. McCarthy in his first chance, you know, ended up going, and it was owned by John and Diane Franken, who Franken, who are not the big type horse owners that uh, the. Own these others. They're not. They've just owned a few horses. So mm-hmm. as East McCarthy was crying, it's like this is the little guy wins. And these guys are multimillionaires, not little guys. <laughs> but the fact is that they're not like these huge syndicates that go and, and do those things. It's interesting. Uh, his, both the great grandparents of uh, of Rombauer, Mister Prospector. Mister Prospector has to be the greatest sire of ever because it's a it's, it's it was it ran during the seventies with, with Secretariat, but at some points now, like all the entrants and the horses are all sired by have some descendants of Mister Prospector. American Pharaoh was one, and uh, but I was just looking through the, you know, the bloodlines of the horses, and there's Mister Prospector again for Rombauer in terms of what, and then Flavian Pratt from France uh, had only uh, run the pre- once before, but ended up uh you had only run on uh, Rumbauer once, but then came on and, and ran a great race. You know, certainly held it back to the right moment, didn't overrun the horse and, and ran a great one to, to winish there. So, I mean, Rumbauer, it was, it won the El Camino Derby, but then in the Bluegrass Stakes, it came up third to Essential Quality, was the favorite of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. And then they held it out. They didn't want to run it in the, in the, they felt like the race, McCarthy goes, the Kentucky Derby was not suited for this because he likes to hold back and the way he wants to run, there's too many horses and they can't get through all the other horses. And I think it was a smart move. I mean, clearly yeah. it was a brilliant Brilliant move to hold it back for the Preakness, which is with only 10 horses running, be able to get that great run. And now as a win under the belt. And, and you know what? I, I think a lot of people don't understand that normal rest for a horse is five weeks. So they want to keep them running every five weeks. If he had run in the Kentucky Derby, say finished eighth because he couldn't make his move. They're not going to run him in the Preakness, or they typically don't want to because they want to keep him on that five weeks, not uh, potentially injure them. And that was one of the things my first thought was, why is Mandaloon not running? You know, because if they do go back and reverse it and take this away from Medina Spirit, Mandaloon would be the winner. You'd think he'd want to run in the Preakness to put the Triple Crown in line, but I'm assuming that it had to be something like that. Like they just didn't want to risk it, you know, putting too much strain on their horse. Right. And then Michael Iron said that they weren't, they didn't know they were going to run until two days after. They probably just wound yeah. the horse down, rested it up. Didn't think they had the plan in place was not to run it at all. And, uh, but Dina Spirit for finishing third, I thought that was pretty great in terms of, you know, on such a short turnaround to come there and do the third, to finish in third. But, you know, the, 
again, if Matias Spirit had won and then they had taken out the, I don't know why it's taking as much as Rowan said. How long does it take to get this drug test back crazy. in order to find out about the Kentucky Derby? If you're going to take it away, then take it away. I can get a rapid COVID test in 15 minutes <laughs> for a disease that came out a year ago. You guys tell me you can't figure this out. So what, what's next? Obviously, everyone's looking forward to the Belmont. The Belmont's next and no one knows who's running except Medina Spirit is not, they've clearly said is not going to run. Essential Quality, who was the favorite coming into the Derby, who finished fourth in Derby, is probably going to run. And an interesting horse called Malafat, who was who won the Kentucky Oaks, is a, a filly, uh, might run in this race. So it would be interesting to see. It's actually there's another horse called Known Agenda, and Malahat and Known Agenda are half brother and sister. So you could actually have a sibling rivalry of <laughs> Known Agenda and Malahat come up because their their sire is both Curlin. So. I, I had Known Agenda bet in the Derby didn't didn't work out. So for now me. the sister his sister is going <laughs> to go after him. That should be interesting. Uh, uh, you're listening to Iron Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Like you said, the NFL always keeps itself in the news and you know you you brought it to my attention but it is true you never really hear a bad word about a prospect when, when minicamp starts every guy looks great and they're, they're all thrilled oh my gosh it's like you listen to the teams it's like oh my gosh we brought these who was gonna say we just drafted them two weeks ago and they came to minicamp our fourth oh, round picks a bump oh they're terrible <laughs> they're awful. they're the worst i mean it's like oh they look great they're in shape they're this and that i mean i was watching the steelers stuff I, Nigel harris is the greatest running back of all time oh, you're here i mean first of all they're running around in shorts there's no veterans there they're not doing anything <laughs> they're gonna get some of these haven't even signed contracts yet so they're just they're just walking around and it's just like it's so funny to hear like the giants are excited about the draft picks the jets are excited like no one's gonna say we're not excited we totally made a mistake our draft is terrible the gm would be fired the team would be fired the next day for saying that <laughs> well the only bad news was the giants actually Kadarius tony they're uh, the number 20 overall pick they traded down for from uf apparently both days, his shoes didn't feel right, and he didn't run. And this is like, it's like I'm seeing Odell Beckham again already. That's Antonio Brown with the helmet. Yeah. The helmets, he couldn't figure mm-hmm. out the helmets, but uh, <laughs> would be a problem. Yeah, so hopefully uh, that's, uh, I mean, hopefully he's got the skill of Odell without all the headaches. Um, like you said, Aaron Rodgers, they, they keep this story going, and we can just talk about it briefly. Yeah, oh, the big story was he was nice to Jordan Love last year. Oh, my gosh, that's so great. He was so <laughs> nice to him. Oh, like that was, like, clearly that was leaked by Aaron Rodgers. Is like, Jordan Love really appreciates the guidance that Rogers gave him. But you, I mean, we're hearing rumors. Why doesn't Jordan Love come out and talk about it? Where's Jordan Love saying? Yeah, where is Jordan uh, Love? Yeah, what is, no one, could he throw, I mean, we've seen more, I've seen more pass, passes thrown by, Nigel, you know, plays by Najee Harris than I have from Jordan Love. And so <laughs> the point is, I haven't seen him throw, do anything. Or, but why doesn't he make a comment? Like, was he nice to you? Did you guys go out for, like, you know, uh, did you go to McDonald's and have some hamburgers and french fries? Like, what was the niceness? Did we play chess, checkers, I don't know, video games? It's like, you said, oh, all the story was that how great of mentor Aaron Rodgers was for Jordan Love. So it, 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 you were right in this sense, though. I don't know if you heard, but um, Brian Gutenkunst, the GM of the Packers, they asked, you know, what's Jordan Love? Like, is he getting in? He said he's not close to getting on the field. So I think it's pretty safe to say that's a waste of draft pick there. And you had said, why would Aaron Rodgers, you know, be like this if he didn't realize that he couldn't play? So obviously, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. So uh, a lot of people seem to be upset about Tim Tebow coming back to the league. And I don't know, I think that's a little weird. Oh my gosh. I listened to a show for an hour this weekend and that's all they talked about was Tim Tebow. Again, Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, he was the coach of Tim Tebow in college, and Tim Tebow was one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. And people say, oh, so much has been given to him. Maybe the greatest player of all time. Right. And, but he, he goes to the Mets, and he was in the minor leagues for four years. So it's not like people have given everything on Tim Tebow on a silver platter. He's playing minor league baseball for four years. It's a lot of funner things. Than, you know, that's fun to do play sports, but the idea is it was the most glamorous thing in the world. Um, he tried to be a quarterback, and there's no, and people are criticizing, well, he should never, he should have given up being a quarterback. But there's a lot of guys that don't want to do anything but be quarterback. I mean, Terrell Pryor was a quarterback and then went to wide receiver and, and then Antoine Randall and Cordell Stewart, two of the Steelers. But in general, a lot of these guys, they that's what they want to be. They want to be quarterback. So I don't I'm not holding it against him. And and of course I would expect a shot. He's in great shape. He's 33 years old. He's going to Jacksonville. And the national media might not like the story. Oh, Tim Tebow to Jacksonville. But I listen to Jacksonville radio and everyone's excited about this. He's he's a legend there. Like, what's the matter? I mean, I think sometimes we look, we nationalize everything. If, if the people in Jacksonville love this and think it's great and they're excited about it, and if anyone who thinks that Urban Meyer is going to just come in and run a standard NFL offense, you have been watching Florida, you have been watching Ohio State all these years. They, he runs very intricate, very complex offenses, and they're all different and they're all crazy. And Tim Tebow fits in and put him in any position. And I expect Trevor Lawrence is going to be everywhere. And they just mentioned that Travis Etienne is going to be the running back. He's going to be working as a running back and a wide receiver. You're going to see different things. If you think you're going to, they're going to run a standard offense at Florida, you're crazy. And I don't know. 
to see it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm excited to see it though. Um, No, I agree with you on this. And what you know, when was it ever an issue? to bring people in to sell jerseys and, and put butts in the seats. Jacksonville doesn't do a great job of that, so why not bring local hero, like basically folklore uh, style, Tim Tebow, put him in there, sell some tickets, make some revenue off. This is the team that I go up there. I mean, for Steeler games, it's almost like I was going to buy a season tickets just to get go to buy the Steeler ticket because the games are so cheap in terms of going to. They're playing a game or two games a year in London because they can't yeah. – they get – they have the worst attendance of anyone. Now, this is all going to change with Trevor Lawrence. Look, I think te- they're not going to put Tim Tebow on the field if he can't help. And I think there's a way you're going to – Urban Meyer is going to figure out a way to make Tim Tebow's good. It's going to work out. I've heard that they make more money off the Jacksonville – I mean, off the England game than they do the rest of right, the season. Right. So it, uh, there's a reason why they're doing that. I didn't know this, but uh, Green Bay signed Blake Bortles. So that's that's really telling on Jordan Love if they're bringing in Blake right. Bortles to be the backup. So NFL schedule came out. What's uh, some of your thoughts here? <laughs> Well, again, we could talk like for two days about the NFL schedule. These teams. First of all, we knew when the season's over, they tell you who where the Steelers are playing, who's home, who's away. Then they put the dates out, and then it comes in. But of course, half the bottom schedule can be flexed anyway. I mean, the only date that's important is the Bucks at the Patriots on Week Four, which is of course going to be a great game, and it's exciting to see it that Tom Brady returns to Foxborough and Bill Belichick and those things. And people were debating should have been later in the year, early. I think it's perfect fourth game of the season. It's going to be exciting. It'll be great. The tickets I saw to get in were like a grand. I thought they'd actually be higher. I mean, when I looked huh. at the on StubHub, I said, that's probably like two to 3,000 for the game. It was like a 1,000 to get in. So considering this is like one of the biggest games they'll ever have at home for a regular season game, um, I thought that was great. So short of that, I mean, uh, anybody who can go through these schedules and say, oh, that's an easy win, that's an easy win, there's nothing easy. Unless you're playing Houston, that's easy. But generally, the NFL, as we know, there's 32 teams and 28 are very competitive every year. So it's hard to tell uh, what your schedule is. I had is. no problem going through the Jets schedule and checking them off for like two or three wins. But other than that, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I do think the most intriguing game maybe to me this season is a week one matchup between two teams that probably aren't making the playoffs, the Jets and Carolina. How much pressure is on Sam Darnold that he has to play his former team and a rookie quarterback in his first start if he loses that game that might end his career Ira that he's so terrible he's got so much pressure on him to win week one yeah that's that's not fair to him like that's <laughs> really that's weird if he goes in there and, and Zach Wilson outplays Zach Wilson him outplays him and that wow. first game uh that would be but that's these schedule makers I mean they they're, they're they they do this on purpose it's not just random people think this is all random it's not random they move the games around oh, for yeah. television they decide what's who what's best I mean there's a whole debate I listened to a whole debate on should the Bucks Pats game been like a four o'clock game or a Monday night game or a Sunday night game it ended up being a Sunday night game of course, because they wanted the whole country to see it. But I, I, it's just interesting to see how this is done. It's all done with a purpose. So, uh, by the way, I run Sports True Oldies channel. We'll have Randy Moeller of the Florida Panthers television analyst join us in just a couple of minutes. Let's talk a little NBA, Ira, because like you said, everything is summed up now. We know who's playing who uh, outside of the play-in games, and that'll decide uh, who's actually moving on to the playoffs. Before we get to this, I did want to say about the Sixers. I was watching the Sixers in the Heat on uh, last week. I, I Their perf- Sixers' performance was absolutely pathetic. I mean, it was, I agree that the, the, the way the fans come into the games, I think I got smarter in terms of how to order my food, and now I get my <laughs> food right, and I know where to park and how to do this. But, and there was still, there must have been like four or 5,000 fans of the game. It, this, they're, they're not ramping up the attendance. Mm-hmm. And boy, are they tough on the mask. I mean, it's the one place where they're, really? there's, yeah, you've got to, you can't even have food in the stadium. Like, they're not going to let you, you have to put it in the bowl. You can't bring it in to your seats. But I think that, the uh, ushers that were telling people to keep their mask on had more enthusiasm than Ben Simmons and Joe Embiid. If Joe Embiid <laughs> ended up with six points, uh, he was so lazy. Uh, he did not try in the game at all. And it was one of those games where they, they had to win one of their two games. So it was actually a game they had to win to get the one, number one seed. But I am not sold. I mean, look, I've never been sold on the Sixers. And to see that performance and how Embiid just did not try at all. Uh, and, and Simmons is just... A terrible. And then Seth Curry, like, I like what the Sixers have. I like their starting five with Tobias Harris, but their bench is terrible. Their bench is awful. I mean, the Heat have 10, have really 10 players that they can all play. The Sixers, they don't want, they can't use their bench at all. And when Embiid, I just, I'm not sold. They're not, they're, they are not, they'll be lucky to go get through the second round. Um, I, I do think that they've got a lot of flaws, but they got a lot of talent. Like, yeah, I think win the first round and then it's going to get exponentially tougher from there. So what, what are you thinking on with this playoff? Well, in the play-in games, the first one are Boston and Washington. Um, 
I'm nervous because I like Washington a lot. I like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. I think this is. I think they have a chance to make some noise. I mean, but I'm nervous about this first game. Boston is missing. I mean, they have so many injuries, and now Jalen Brown is out. And this is a team that I really thought if Jalen Brown was healthy, could have gone to the finals. You think Brad Stevens' job's in trouble? I don't think he's in trouble. I I think this team was just this season again another mess for them in terms of these injuries, and I just so sad that Brown can't can't play. Uh, but I think Boston, I think if Wash, if Beal is healthy, now there's a question if he is, I think, I would think that, I think Washington's going to beat Boston and get the seven seed and Boston then would then have to play the winner of Charlotte, Indiana, two teams that are playing horrendous. Charlotte's lost five in a row. Indiana hasn't even tried this. So it's going to be end up, I think Washington will probably be seven. Boston will be eight. If I had to put anything, that'll be what the seven, eight, because I do not see Indiana and Charlotte making the playoffs at all. But then the Heat ended up, you know, in terms of playing the Bucks. I think it's the worst team. As much as they say, oh, you don't want to play Durant. I think the Bucks. They beat them two yeah, nights ago on Saturday the night. They played great. And I and last year they beat them in a four-one in the series. But this year they have Drew Holiday, and it just seems like I'm just nervous. I mean, Antipenko, uh, Giannis is just uh, dominant. Was playing dog. Just thinking, and it, the Heat have better. He did not have Butler that game. But this is going to be a very, very tough series. Any one of them would have been a tough series. And when you're a six seed, you got to play, you know, three or whatever. But uh, uh, it's unfortunate that they lost that game and couldn't get into the four or five position to play the Knicks or the Hawks in that first round. But I think the winner of that series of the Heat and the Bucks wins the goes to the NBA Finals. So that's why I mean I'm having an NBA draft and I'm you know the, in a few minutes uh, tonight I'm probably going to uh, draft you know draft my Heat players Butler and Adebayo. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be th- this is this is not the Bucks team of last year. They are better. Drew Holiday is a better player than Eric Bledsoe was, and that's the key thing to watch uh, in terms of how Holiday plays. And Brooke Lopez is playing better than he played last year. Giannis and Middleton uh, they're just loaded. And Dante Divincenzo of Villanova. Uh, superstar from the NCAA tournament, he's playing good too. So very, this is going to be a seven-game series. It, I, I agree with you that it was the worst possible matchup for them, even though they beat them, um, you know, last year to knock them out. It's just when you look at them, like can can Giannis lose in the first round? I mean, I know they're not a playoff team that's built for the for the finals. Or at least they haven't been. But it's just hard to bet against Giannis in a first round matchup. You know what I mean? And right. That's why I, I didn't really like this draw for them. I think I, I would rather than play anybody else. And I think each, I think the Heat and the Bucks were upset that playing each other because the Knicks and the Hawks. Oh yeah, I think the Bucks are, don't like this either. <laughs> Atlanta and New York are, are worse than both those teams. Yeah. So the point is, and I think that look, I think this is a feel good story about the Knicks. Everyone loves them. Every, this is great. I, I've watched Atlanta play this year a lot. They're good, and they have a lot of players. And I think the Knicks fans now are getting a little ahead of themselves. Oh, I, of I think Atlanta, Trey Young is ex- super exciting. John Collins is good. They have uh, Capello at center. Uh, Bogdanovich shoots well. They just go so deep on their bench. This is a very difficult. To, this Atlanta team is good. They've had a lot of injuries this year. I, trust me, I've had so many of them. My fantasy team, they've been out. But they're healthy right now. I, I, don't, I think Atlanta's beating Philadelphia. I mean, Atlanta's beating New York. I run sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. What are you looking at in the West? Well, the West, we're going to get the one exciting game, which is what they were. the NBA was hoping for, is that you have a playing game. The Lakers finished with the seventh seed. It was weird the, how the Clippers were so nervous that they'd have to play the Lakers. They ended up losing. They did everything possible to lose their last two games to Oklahoma City, who had only won like one of the last 23 games, <laughs> and Houston, just so they could get the four seed and stay away from the Lakers. And that was, their key. That was, the, that was the key. So they, the Clippers play the Mavericks, and then they stay. It's so hard to move because you're trying to play your schedule but you don't know if the Lakers win. It's almost impossible to do this, but they actually, the Clippers succeeded in whatever mission they were they were planning to do. But the Lakers play the Warriors. Steph Curry, who is p- probably the best month of shooting of his life, is coming to this game. Watch the play the Lakers play last night, and LeBron hurts his ankle again. I, I'm not sold on the Lakers now. I'm off that bandwagon. I think they're too injured. I think they're too brittle. Uh, I could see the Warriors. I could see Curry scoring 50. This is his chance to show... Forget about Durant and forget about Clay and forget this is this is Steph Curry and he has a lot of pride and he is the, one of the best shooters in the history of the NBA and I think he's I think this is this is going to be a big game for the Lakers I, the, there's a lot of pressure to win this now of course if they lose then it gives them another shot they would play the winner of the Memphis San Antonio game which I think Memphis will win that San Antonio has just played terrible the last month of the season. But again, say the Lakers lose the Warriors. They're upset. They're depressed. And then Memphis comes in. Memphis is deep. They have like 10 players. John Morant, 
goes from playing terrible. Remember John Moran for the NCAA tournament? Yeah. I watched the Memphis play. I watched him. He can score 35 in a game and go crazy. And that's what they... So there's... What if the Lakers would end up losing those two games? It'd be this huge upset to the Warriors. I mean, they're a six-point favorite, six-and-a-half-point favorite over the Warriors. But I, with these injuries they possibly have, they have not no chemistry at all. I could see the, the Lakers getting knocked out. Um, I like, personally, I like the... I, with the Jazz, well, concern, I love the Jazz. But... Donovan Mitchell was their superstar, and he's been out for the last month with an ankle. Hasn't come back and played at all. Mm-hmm. He's not healthy. They're not going to do anything. I, they're they're going to lose that. Who cares if they're number one seed? And Phoenix being the number two, Devin Booker, uh, Chris Paul, they're exciting. They're great. They're just such not. They don't feel like a number two seed at all. No. So and then the Nuggets are the three seed, and they Jamal Murray is their second best player. Now they have the MVP and Joker, but he there he's not there. But I like the Blazers, honestly. I like the Blazers with Lillard and McCollum and Nursic and Carmelo Anthony. And they traded for Norman Powell. And they have the two best guards in, in, that are besides Beal and Westbrook. I think uh, I think they could upset the Nuggets and uh, win that series and then beat the Suns and then at least get to the end, to the Western Conference Finals. So I really like Portland. I think that's this year. But every series has juice. I mean, I like the Blazer-Nuggets series. And the Clippers and Mavericks last year, man, that was a great series. Doncic, Porzingis for the Mavericks, the Clippers, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The teams hate each other. The fouls, the chippiness. Doncic was complaining. I, I think everyone, every all this is great. Sort of like hockey, the same thing. These games are all, each series to me is exciting. No, absolutely, you're right. Do you want to uh, throw out any uh, of your awards, what you think is going to shape up here? Well, I think for the MVP, uh, Jokic is going to win from Denver. Average 26 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and most importantly, played 72 games. Because uh, LeBron James, who played 40-some games, and Embiid 51, not enough games, they didn't play so much. None of the Nets, uh, Durant, Harden, Irving, didn't play enough. But Steph Curry played, ended up playing 62 games, leading the league in scoring. I think he'll finish second. I think Lillard from Portland will finish third. He had a great, great year again. And Giannis probably fourth. Same numbers that he's had the last two years, and he's won the MVP, but just seems like people don't want to give it to him again. And then Luka Doncic of Dallas probably fifth, Westbrook sixth, Paul seventh, and then Donovan Mitchell eighth, and, and Tatum for the Celtics at, at ninth. Most improved player, it has to be Randall. Knicks, baby. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he came from being a good, he has improved every single year. I mean, the point where the Lakers gave him to the Pelicans for nothing, the Pelicans said, we don't need you anymore. And then he goes to the Knicks and they're like, well, the Knicks will just sign him. And people said, why did they, they paid him like $10 million a year? What a waste. And he's turned into being a max player. He's great. He's going to be an all-star this year. He was going to be an all-star next. I mean, he's great. And he just keeps improving, 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 and uh, easily going to be the rookie of the year. I mean, the most improved player of the year. I think the rookie's going to be tough. I was not high. I told you. Anthony Everett yeah. from Georgia. I did not think he was going to be the first 25, 30 games of the season, he looked terrible. He looked everything I thought for Minnesota. He played terrible, but he came on there at the end, played great, and then LaMelo Ball, who had it just totally wrapped up for Charlotte, he ended up got hurt and missed like three, four weeks. And I think that might be the difference, and Edwards might actually get the Rookie of the Year. And uh, we had some Hall of Fame action over the weekend as well. Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, and Kobe Bryant were installed. It was great ceremony. And That's I a really loved, good three. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and Vanessa Bryant gave a yeah. talk, and I like what Vanessa said. Vanessa said that Kobe, of course, tried to play every single game, every minute every game, and one of the comments, this Joe DiMaggio comment, that uh, he doesn't know, he knows how hard people spend money to go to their games, and if he's not playing in that game, then they, they wasted their money to come see him. And I'm like thinking, the load management NBA is so far different. I mean, it's like Kobe Bryant must have played 50 years ago, because that attitude is certainly not in the NBA now in terms of wanting to play just because you know fans out there. I just finished reading a book by Ethan Strauss who I'd love to get him on about Victory Machine about Golden State Warriors and he was writing how the, like not Curry but like Durant and a lot of these other players they think fans are crazy like they think they're nuts they, to, to be so crazy to buy their I mean it, when you but you're, when you're so dismissive of your fans and you think that they're just crazy to be because they themselves aren't even fans like mm-hmm. the players aren't fans that they're so then then how can you, they, you how are you going to show love for them I mean they're more interested in their internet followers who don't even watch their game <laughs> than they are the fans that actually care and follow their games which is crazy to think but I've loved what Vanessa said about Kobe and about how he tried it, which is true. He came there and gave his 100% every single game. No, absolutely he did. All right, let's change gears. Go to Randy Moeller here on Iron Sports. Time to bring in Randy Moeller here. He's your Florida Panthers television analyst. So, Randy, not exactly the result we were wanting to see last night. 5-4 to four, Tampa Bay uh, ended up beating our Florida Panthers, but it was a fast-paced game, and we should look forward to more uh, high-flying, exciting games like this for the rest of the series. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was a very intense game, very competitive game. Uh, lead changes four times in, in that game, the, the first game. Uh, everything that the fans were looking for except the ultimate result, which was a loss. That was a heartbreaker for the Florida Panthers. But I'm just so happy the way that the game's being played and the intensity, the physicality. The fans were amazing at the BB&T Center uh, in game number one. There's a little over 9,000 people in the stands, but it sounded like there was 19,000. That's what type of atmosphere it was. You know, I had some friends from up north actually comment the same thing. They said watching that game was like watching hockey again. It was like being real with the crowd. So, Randy, what would you have liked to have seen uh, differently from the Panthers last night? Yeah, well, the number, number one thing is the Panthers, they, 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 and it's difficult to do. It's easier to say than, than to do. They have to stay out of the penalty box. The Tampa Bay's got the best power play in the league, bar none. And once you add Stamkos and Kucherov on that power play, Kucherov hadn't played all season long. What a difference he makes. Scored two goals, got another assist, three-point night. Stan Coase is always a threat as well. Panthers know what they're up against. It's difficult to do. There's so much talent on that five-man power play for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, so the Panthers, they're, they're going to make some adjustments. They'll make some adjustments on their penalty kill. And uh, and that's all. That, that's going to be the big thing. But number one is you just don't give them the opportunity. And the Panthers didn't do that. Um uh, in the first period, but then it got away from them. They, they, you want to be physical. You want to be aggressive. Then the Panthers know that's a big part of their game, but you, you also have to be very smart, very disciplined, and not uh, take those foolish penalties. The old saying is you can always you can always kill the, the good penalties that you take. It's very difficult to kill the bad ones. <laughs> um, so, Randy, you brought up Nikita Kucherov, who obviously, um, first game of the season last night, played excellent. Social media was a little bit upset about this, though, that he's able to rejoin the team now without him counting against their cap all year. Patrick Kane did this a few years ago on the Blackhawks. Is this kind of like a loophole that they're able to find their way through? I don't know if I'd call it a loophole. Um, guys, my statement is, if there was something that was done wrong, by uh, the CBA and the league rules, then the NHL wouldn't have allowed it. And so I'm going with that. The NHL does a great job of making sure that the teams run properly and they don't circumvent the salary cap. A lot of people have uh, have, uh, have some pretty uh, strong uh, accusations about what went on in Tampa this year with Kucherov missing the whole year and that, but... Uh, if the league, if the league is uh, okay with it, I'm okay with it, and uh, I, I, you know, I really don't have too much else to, to comment on that. So, Randy, you know, the Panthers are unfortunately going to be without Sam Bennett tomorrow night um, due to a suspension, and, and I feel like this is going to be a pretty big loss. Yeah, it will be. It will be. He's played so well and solidifies that second line sentiment, kills penalties, plays on the power play, and, and the, the aggressiveness that he plays with. And, uh, the way he, he can win battles along the boards and that. that's going to be a big hole for the Florida Panthers. But they've done it all year. They plug guys in, and it's almost that next guy up mentality. And they've done it. They've done it in the past. They've had success with for it uh, with it. But yeah, you take a guy of that stature out of your lineup, and uh, it's going to be noticeable. Randy, you mentioned about the physicality of the games. Uh, what I couldn't with this uh, the, of the one game. I mean, I was telling Mike it felt like this was a game six, and now we're going to a game seven, and now we potentially have six more of these games. At what point do you are the players able to hold back and not realize that we can't get in a fight, we can't make any terrible penalties, there can't be retaliation because of the great power play that Tampa Bay has? It must be so difficult to walk that fine line of being physical, but at the same time not you know get, letting Tampa Bay have six power plays for the whole game. Yeah, and that, that, that's the key. There is a, it is a, it, it is a fine line. You have to be disciplined. Yet the Panthers, the, the the last thing they can do is take away their physicality and their intensity and their battle mentality. They've got they, that's the only way you can beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. You've got to outwork them. You've got to be physical. You've got to make sure that uh, the man on man coverage and keep those gaps close and uh, not give them the time and space. It's difficult to do. It's difficult to execute. But uh, the, the Panthers know that, and the, and the coaches will remind them that as well, that there is a fine line of, uh, of being aggressive, yet you can't just hand them power play after power play. We saw the results, what happened 
in game number one with the three power play goals that Tampa Bay uh, were able to secure. Other than that, the Panthers fared very well, five on five. Um, I thought they outchanced them, uh, and there was a lot of aspects of the game where they were the better team. But uh, we all knew, and that was when we we, when we opened up our, our television broadcast. We talked about it, special teams. If you allow them on the power play, they're, they're going to make you pay, and that's exactly what happened last night. And then the concern is that the officials who saw this game sort of go chippy, chippy, chippy at the end, seemed like every scrum, that people were putting uh, sticks in everybody's faces, that the next game they're going to call real tight, which then would go against, you know, what would have benefit Tampa and, and to the detriment of Florida. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. The, the, the officials, they're human. Um, they had a tough night in game number one. There's no doubt. And the NHL knows that as well. They had a tough night. Um, the, the disallowed goal that the Panthers yeah. uh, should have been uh, awarded, that, uh, you could tell. We, play, we we had nine different angles. There was no goalie interference in that. Yeah, that was a missed call. And then there was a few of them. That, there, was a, there was a bunch of uh, liberties uh, taken, especially against Alexander Barkov, that normally would be called in the regular season. And for whatever reason, uh, they're not being called here in the postseason. I know it's physical. It's intense. And you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of rough stuff and pushing and shoving after the whistles and and that. But but when you're targeting uh, star players, the 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 NHL and the, and the officials, they they they, they, they know that they they've got to protect the star players and make sure that the cheap shots are called. So, Randy, more on the lighter side. So I'm watching the game, and my wife is very confused about things that are being thrown on the ice. So for someone who hasn't been a hockey fan very long or maybe just a, a real casual fan, could you mind explaining why Panthers fans throw rats on the ice? <laughs> well, it goes, back to the, it goes back to the 96 season when the Panthers, uh, before the playoffs, um, they were playing in the old Miami arena. And uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, very uh, liberal in saying that uh, – there's a, there was a few rats that were in that <laughs> building, and, and one, one snuck into the Panthers' dressing room, uh, locker room, and came out in their locker room right before they were taking the ice, and Scott Mellenby uh, had his hockey stick in his hand and took a slap shot, and the poor rat um, uh, died at the, uh, <laughs> off the, uh, the bank of the wall. And, uh, and then and Scott Mellenby went out there and scored two goals, <laughs> and the Panthers won, and uh, so they called it a rat trick. And ever since then, it just caught on. Everybody, the, the fans were so amused by that. All of a sudden, the next game, the Panthers win, and every time they scored, somebody was throwing a rat on the ice. And then one rat turned into two, turned into 10, turned into 50, turned into 4,000 rats. <laughs> and then, of course, through the... Uh, the, the playoffs um, of that season every time they scored. The NHL clamped down on the Panthers and said you can't you can't do that anymore until after the game and that but there was the odd rat that was thrown on the ice before uh, the end of the game last night and that's just a tradition that's, that's uh, started back in 96 here in Florida. I think it's great. The fans love it. Uh, they just have to be very careful because what can happen is if they continue to throw the rats, the Panthers will get uh, a bench minor and, and <clears throat> have to uh, kill off another Tampa Bay power play. So they got the fans got to show a little bit of discipline, but they, and for the most part they do. They do, and that and you see the Panthers all season long with twenty wins on home ice. That uh, after every game, uh, when it's over and the Panthers win, and the, the ice gets showered with rats. <laughs> So, Randy, game two is tomorrow night, eight p.m. at the BB&T Center. If we'd like to book a suite, get a single game ticket, how do we do that? Yeah, tickets are going fast. Uh, it was completely sold out last night, and it will be close to that again tomorrow night. But the best way is go on FloridaPanthers.com and or call the puck line. There is uh, uh, sales reps that will be working the phones all day tomorrow, Tuesday, or you can go to Ticketmaster.com. Limited seats are available, but there are a little over 9,000 that they've allowed into, into the, uh, the BB&T Center. I'm sure they're going to be scooped up by game time. Randy Moeller, thank you so much for popping by here Ira on Sports. Great stuff there from Randy Moeller joining us here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, it was a weird uh, a weird weekend, a weird, weird day yesterday as well with every single road team winning, and they were all underdogs. Uh, the first one that we just talked with Randy about was Tampa and Florida, and this was one – Tampa Bay is really talented. They got back their best player in Kucherov, who didn't play all season. That was immediately noticeable. 
Sergey Bobrovsky has to play better. I mean, he's you know, on his second year of a 10-year deal. They're paying him almost uh, $8 million. You said how great he was. You were talking about how great he was. He was great two, two years ago at Columbus when they knocked out Tampa Bay <laughs> after they won the President's Trophy. But he, he didn't do enough yesterday. you got to make some of those saves down the stretch. It wasn't easy, but that was a great game, and I know you enjoyed it. I think what you're seeing a lot, and, and I don't watch as much hockey as you do. You certainly are the expert of in hockey, but but the elevation of the pressure, especially on goaltenders, that it's mm-hmm. easy to look. And we see in these other sports, it's easy to look in a regular season game when it's just go whatever and no one really cares. But as the intensity of these playoffs and when you get to the third period and when it really matters, I mean, that's I think the one thing about hockey is that it just ratchets up the the, the level of intensity. And you see it in accuracy with the NBA because the NBA now the regular season meant absolutely nothing. And now these games are going to be more. So that foul shot that you missed at the end of a game in the in March that no one remembers, people are going to remember that missed foul shot mm-hmm. now. So I think that's what's going to happen. And I think you see with Brodsky sort of with the pressure uh, of these teams is that it does in those third periods when these games are really, uh, you know, it is, it is coming down to it. And the pressure that comes, these, these players are feeling it. So, uh, let's talk about your Pittsburgh Penguins versus the Islanders. I didn't give the Islanders much of a shot in this one. Pittsburgh was playing good coming in. Islanders have been playing bad, especially uh, as far as they go. But... They, like a Barry Trotz team, they buckled down and they played hard yesterday. The Islanders are always going to play hard. They're going to play defense. They're not going to make mistakes. Pittsburgh looked a little slow, but either way, it was a great game. It was a great game. It was one where the, it was 2-2, and then the Islanders score at the end of the third period to make it 3-2, thinking the game won, and then like they're celebrating, and then Penguins come back and score quickly, make it like in a, within a minute, and then you feel like they have the momentum. I mean, the Islanders had just blown the game. I mean, they had the lead. They had to hold on for another couple more minutes. They blew the game, and then what, do, what, do, what happens in overtime? Beginning of the, it, you, know, you notice in the start of these overtimes, it's always right at the beginning. Oh, it's, yeah. either, it's either going to be like the first two minutes of the overtime, or, or it's going to be overtimes. like four hours <laughs> later. Like, like it's one of those things, and then they go and they score quick, and that was an amazing shot over the goalies. Mm. Just I don't know how, like there was just enough space for the puck to go through. But for the Penguins to lose that uh, with Malkin not playing, but Crosby, Crosby played played well, but didn't score. But uh, again, this is going to be a battle between the Islanders and Penguins. Uh, Bruins and Capitals. This is a, a pretty evenly matched, uh, evenly matched series here. Capitals won three to two. I do anticipate this one uh, going seven. We also saw the Canucks beat up on Connor McDavid, and I don't know if people realize what Connor McDavid did this year. He scored over 100 points in just 56 games. To get 100 points in 82 games is impressive. He did it in 56. He averaged almost two points a game. So. And you know, how how old is he? Uh, this is his fifth or sixth year, so he's like 25, 26. He, he's, Sidney Crosby is the best player of my generation, and now the next generation is getting to watch uh, Connor McDavid. Um, what else did we see yesterday? The uh, Minnesota Wild beat the Golden Knights, and this is one nobody anticipated Minnesota coming in and beating Vegas. Vegas is very good. Shut them out. Um, one nothing in overtime. Yeah. I and mean, that was one of those games where I turned it on, like in the third period, 0-0. And you got this, you got, again, one of the consider you know, Criticism of Vegas sometimes is Floria goaltending, some of their goaltending. Here you got a perfect, you got a shutout, and you just can't win the game. Um, and then this is pretty cool. Mark Andre Fleury, you know, played for the Penguins forever. Fifteen straight seasons of a playoff appearance. So it helps when you play for, for, for a decade with Pittsburgh and, and Sidney Crosby. But still impressive. Uh, he couldn't get the win there. We also saw the Flames with an overtime winner over the Canucks. And we're going to see a couple more uh, series open up tonight. The one to watch out for is Carolina and Nashville. To me, Carolina could be the best team in the league. And I think they're going to destroy Nashville. And then they either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Panthers will be uh, waiting by to play them. So it's not going to be easy getting out of this this division. And you know what's so crazy about hockey, and they, they've talked about this a little bit, but the fact that the Canadian teams haven't, um, they still is not a protocol what's going to happen. Yeah, they I don't mean, know. I mean, they're <laughs> going to be, st- they could be like two champions, like the Canadian champion, yeah. because right now, if the Canadian team played an American team, which they're not waiting to do till the semifinals, yeah. so the, the two more rounds, but if they get to that stage, that when that happens, that uh, that the, the, each team's going to have to quarantine for two, I mean, it's impossible. You're not going to quarantine for two weeks and play one game. We'd probably flame hockey till October and that <laughs> schedule. And, and, and Canada won't give up this. I mean, here in America, no one's wearing their mask. Everything's going to be... I don't understand why these, with the new rules in place, why they don't... I mean, I really think they should update this in terms of let lots of more fans in. You can see, I think the advance that some of these teams have, there's going to be, like Atlanta is going to have a full house for basketball, and the Knicks are going to be playing with like half the... So the point is, it's going to be such an advantage if they can have more... Some teams are going to be playing with 100% capacity, and others are like down at 20% capacity. Well, some of the Canadian rules over the past couple of months have been crazy. They just banned golf in Ontario. 
Oh, because of COVID. They, they just opened or abandoned? Well, I think it might be opening soon, but they, they have a month hiatus on golf. <laughs> like, where's the common sense here? It would have been nice if they just brought all the North teams to Orlando or something, let them just, you know, it, it would stink to be in a bubble type scenario, but at least we wouldn't have to deal with all this. But they're going to have to figure this out because it's two series away. Now, the question is... It's the, hockey. They don't figure stuff the, out. The, the NBA is lucky. They put Toronto. <laughs> Toronto played all their games here. Yeah. Today, Toronto, uh, shockingly, did not make the playoffs at Same all. Same with baseball. So They right. get the Blue Jays so they So they've, they've sort of avoided that issue about keeping those teams. And unfortunately, there's just an NHL has a lot more Canadian teams because that's the nature of the sport in terms of having Canadian teams. But that is going to be something to look for. Now, it's not going to happen. Maybe in a month, they'll be able to figure this out because it'll, it'll probably be like, I would say, a month from now. But eventually, the Canadian teams are going to have to come and cross the border. And it's ludicrous. These teams are flying on private jets. Yeah. They're all been vaccinated. They're all been whatever. They're going to land in the jets. They're not going to be hanging out at the bars. They're, they're going to go in, play their games and leave. This is stupid to be all worried about this. You really think that these teams in the middle of the standing up playoffs are going to be like infecting people running around the town. They, they, they fly on private jets. They stay at the, the most expensive hotels. They block the whole hotel out. There's no reason to have the whole quarantining for this. No, it's a little ridiculous. You found a stat too, and it's, it's almost unbelievable when you say it because we have two original six teams that have been arch nemesis for a hundred years now, but they haven't played in a while and they're going to face off now. Well, they haven't played in 40 years. Which is just bizarre. But Toronto and Montreal are like the homes of hockey. I mean, I just, <laughs> it's like, if I would say that Boston and New York never met in the playoffs or something, like, it's crazy that this never happened. I, I mean, both teams have had not played well. I mean, there's been times when Montreal's been a better team in terms of Toronto. They're, they've been up and down, but it's weird that they have not played in the playoffs in 40 years. Yeah, Toronto's been pretty bad my entire life. I mean, they've never... They've had, you know, some flashes here, but Montreal was in the, uh, you know, Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago. So it's not like they haven't been there, but yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, I understand Florida and Tampa never are playing because they've only been around 20 years. But for these two teams have not played for 40, it's a little bit strange to me. I run Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk a little baseball. And there's something that you think is pretty phenomenal going on with Shohei Otani. Well, I heard uh, Chris Madrigal-Russo talk about Otani. He's like, well, he should really just be a, a pitcher and not a hitter or just a hitter and not a pitcher. And uh, he's he had last night they were down in the ninth inning five four to the Red Sox he had a two run home run uh, it, it, he's also he's now had twelve home runs and twenty nine RBIs with a hundred and fifty at bats on the season he has five starts with a two point one zero ERA just amazing statistics uh, Mike Trout has eight home runs eighteen RBIs hitting three thirty three I mean both of these teams I mean Otani has to be the MVP there's nobody <laughs> and you go back to Babe Ruth now. Babe Ruth, 19 years ago, he debuted. I'm sorry, 19 years ago. He debuted at age 19, 1914. And first, he was a pitcher because in 1915 to 1917, he really only had at most 150 at bats. And then in 1918, this is all for the Red Sox. He remember he was a Red Sox before he was a Yankee. In 1918, he pitched, he had 317 at bats. And then in 1919, 432 at bats. So remember, Otani has 150 already right now. But pitching, he was 18 and 8, the 23 and 12, 24 and 13. It was only only, again, 1918, he was 13 and 7. In 1919, he was 9 and 5. He actually started transitioning away from being a pitcher in 1919. When he went to the Yankees, he only pitched four games in his 15 year career for the <laughs> Yankees. He was, they just said, you're not going to pitch anymore. You're not going to, you're just going to hit. But it's really only those years of 1918 and 1919 when he pitched and hit. No one's done that since, since 1919. It's been a hundred and what, two years. And now Otani's doing this. And I, I when, when Matt Russo said that, I'm like, are you? This is it's what we're seeing is amazing, and I would I wish that they could get to the to the playoffs because to see this in the playoffs to see a someone who has twelve home runs and he has a two point one zero ERA craziness. And we got basketball players who don't want to play back to back games, and this guy wants to do both sides of of the baseball diamond. And you know, more power to him. I absolutely love it. Um, Marlins are going to get lucky here. Jazz Chisholm, who was traded, uh, to, Arizona sent him here for Zach Gallon, and Zach Gallon at the time, I thought was going to be, you know, the, the next coming of Clayton Kershaw. I really, really was high on him. He's dipped down this year, and Jazz Chisholm, who came to the Marlins, has been phenomenal. He uh, tweaked his hamstring, but he's back um, as of yesterday, and he's ready to go. And this this team, 
they're not world beaters yet, but Jesus Aguilar at first base is having an amazing season. Rojas at short is playing really good. This team can win some games, and it's going to disrupt the NL East a little bit. And Trevor Rogers, the pitcher. I mean, I was looking pitcher at who's going to be the rookie of the year, and Chisholm and Rogers are the two favorites now in the Amer- in the National League to do it. Um, and and they get Adam Duvall, who's a home runs hit. It goes. <laughs> it seems like he's having a home run. You know, two three run home run every other game. But uh, the Marlins are eighteen and twenty two. They're not. They'll be lucky to get five hundred. But they took. They lost two of the Dodgers, but they had a big win on. On Sunday, and even my do- friends who are Dodgers fans are saying, "Boy, this Marlins team—they're not bad." <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it's like, look, they're still bad. They're still like probably get five hundred team this year, but you can see where they are improving, and they're bringing in some good young players. Uh, what are some surprises you've seen so far? You have to think Minnesota. Now, it, it, two weeks ago, I'm we happy said, about it. <laughs> I know, but I mean, we everybody thought Minnesota was going to go to the World Series. I, this is one of the worst starts ever. They were—they're thirteen and twenty-five. They're the worst record in the in Major League Baseball, and they're two and eight in the last ten. Like. When are they going to turn it on? Now, it's weird in how baseball is set up in terms of, you know, in, in the National League. What's the craziest thing? The whole league is between 16 wins and 23 losses. And even the Pirates in Colorado, Colorado are in that mix. And, and uh, only, it, it's like every, no one's out of it in the National League at all. Uh, but the, but in the American League, it's sort of the same little, you know, Tigers are terrible and the Orioles are terrible. But the Twins at 13, like when, this is, cra- I don't think I remember a team that was supposed to go to the World Series that I didn't think was, that, that has started this, I mean, 13 and 25, they're by far the worst record in baseball. It's crazy how that worked out. Um, Yankees seem to be getting things going. Aaron Judge went through a week where he probably struck out 95% of his at-bats. It was absolutely deplorable. Aaron Boone stuck with him. He's player of the week this past week. Giancarlo Stanton, I didn't realize, was hitting almost 300 for us. He's going to the he's going to the DL, his favorite place. To well, he played thirty three games, and then the, the question That's a is, lot for Stanton. Well, he'd only been be DH, and then they then uh, Boone said we might be using him in the field. Don't get so excited! And they he did just the thought of using him in the field. He hurts his thigh, <laughs> his quad muscle. That's like just the thought. It wasn't that he went to the field just thinking he was going to go in the field. Another, I mean, it's just an injuries after injuries for him, and I feel terrible for that. Um, another, let's talk a little NL. It, it, there's. Uh, not a lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of parity here. Most of the teams seem to be about the same. I'm impressed with the Pirates so far. Um, Cabrian Hayes been out basically all season. He's like their top prospect. So I'm looking forward to getting him back. And they've been pretty mum on what's going on with him. But this team's scrappy. I mean, they've been playing way better than I thought they would. I just think, look, the Nats are in last place. They're three out. The Pirates are in last place. They're five out. And Arizona's in the next last place. They're six out. And we've already played like, whatever, a quarter of the season. So it just seems to be like baseball has everything they want, where these teams are all, the fact that the Dodgers aren't running away with it, even though they all figured out. I mean, they lost Seager, Corey Seager, another injury. Uh, a ball hit him on the Wrist on a, I hate when you see that. It's oh, not, it's, it bothers it's, me. It's just it's the <laughs> sound alone is piercing. Uh, he his, his, the ball hit his wrist when he was batting, and he was trying to get out of the. It was, it was just terrible. But uh, I, I think the Dodgers will get their act together. I mean, they played terrible, and they're still like game out of first place. But uh, and then the key thing was the Dodgers signing Albert Pujols. So we're waiting. Where is Albert Pujols? Who was just released by the Angels? Where is he going to play? Where is he going to go? The Dodgers. The they, come on, I, I thought the Cardinals were going to go for sure, but. Going to the uh, reigning champs? <laughs> well, I think, look, they feel like he can bring a lot to the locker room, and I think that he feel can make clutch hits, and he can, uh, there's there's still, he had, an, uh, what, seven, eight home runs, seven home runs this year, so I think there's a thought that he could add something, and, and they had some injuries in some places, uh, and come in, and they liked the maturity. I mean, it seems like the Dodgers, a few guys remember, they brought Chase Atley in from mm-hmm. the Phillies, and they thought, he wasn't on the Phillies, he had bounced around to another team. But like, Texas, maybe. Yeah, and, they, yeah. and Atley was done, and they're like, oh, he's not going to add anything. And he comes there, and, and all he does is play great. It's like Atley played like he bring you know takes if Pools comes in and starts hitting home runs, it's like turn back the clock on a team like this. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I look if there's any place to go, it's the Dodgers. They'll figure out a way to to integrate him in into their lineup, and they have they have a bunch of winners. So I think it'll be fun. Got about five six minutes here to go. Let's talk a little tennis. Well, again, as we, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, Nadal beat Djokovic 7-5, and then he lost 6-1 in the second and 6-3, and Nadal ended up beating him 6-3 in the third. It's his 10th title in Rome. They've now played uh, nine times in Rome. Joker has uh, in nine. So it's just in terms of their their rivalry is, is Djokovic 28, Nadal 27. Nobody's even close to that in terms of playing. Uh, and uh, Djokovic beat Tsitsipas on Saturday. I mean, Tsitsipas was leading Djokovic uh, on Friday. They took the match again to Saturday, and you thought, oh, Tsitsipas has to come in and, and just win a few games. And Djokovic comes back, wins that. Nadal beat Riley Opeka, who was seen from Delray, who has this big booming serve. And it's like, 
Opeka can beat everybody, but until we play someone like one of the top ones who can return, then he has trouble with it. But uh, it's now we're going to the French Open. Nadal is going for his 14th French title. It'll be in three weeks. Uh, and even Djokovic goes, I'm a long shot to win, even though he's number one player in the world and has won all these majors. Uh, so it'll be exciting to see. But Djokovic, Nadal will be going for his 21st major uh, and to break the tie he has with Federer and Djokovic's at 18. And then Iga Swiatek, who's a 19-year-old from Poland, she won the final against uh, Plasogba, 6060 uh, uh, donuts. So, in order to, to go 60 or bagel, however you want to determine it. But, uh, pretty, uh, Swigatek beat, uh, or Plasogba beat uh, Coco Goff in the semifinals, but then to win 6060 in the final. So, she's ready to go for, to try to defend her French Open title. Well, let's talk a little golf. I, I, I'll admit it, I did not know who KH Lee was before this past weekend, but I uh, had a big winner at the Byron Nelson. Boy, the scores were low. I mean, this yeah. tournament used to be huge. I mean, this was this was one of the big, big tournaments. When Byron Nelson, I remember he would come to the tournament and sit. And I, when I was younger, this was one of the – they didn't have all the other – I mean, this was more like before the players maybe, but all at the same time. But it was at that level of like of a major a tournament that wasn't a major. And it's really fallen down. Now it's in, a, in the calendar after the PJ. But he, KH Lee, 25 under. Sam Burns, 22 under. Berger had a – Daniel Berger, 21 yeah. under. And Spieth was at 18 under. Uh, uh, John Rom finished in 34th place at 13. I had a good feel. They had some players in this before the, uh, the PGA next week. Uh, John Rom 13 under, and uh, and Hideki Matsu came back from Japan. He's at 39th place. He, he was so funny. He said that when he's in Japan, he can't walk anywhere. He's so popular. He goes to America, and no one knows who he is. <laughs> um, and uh, Bryson DeChambeau finished in 55th place. It, it, where is Bryson? I mean, this is just yeah. these. I mean, he keeps saying he's going to see this easy, the courses or whatever, and, and, and whatever he's working on doesn't seem to be working. And then Ricky Fowler missed the cut. Uh, Sergio Garcia missed the cut. And Brooks Kepka played in this and missed the cut, um, getting ready for PJ at Kiowa next week. So let's talk about um, Kiowa. I, I I love this golf course, like visually. And I, I don't know if you've been there. I, I mean, you mentioned that you might uh, try to actually take it in this week, but this should be good. It, it's, it's always a very exciting, uh, exciting weekend. Well, it's the, it, this, the PGA Championship used to be in August. They moved it to May. And uh, I saw I was just reading about it. 1916 was the first one, and the winner won $500. Now the purse is big ones, huh? Yeah, five, now the purse is $2 million <laughs> to win. And it used to be match play. It used to be, it played like 200 holes over seven days. In 1958, they moved it to stroke play. And sometimes it used to be at the same, that's why Ben Hogan didn't win it so much, because it, it used to be the same time of the British Open. They would play the same time. Which is just crazy to even think like that. And it's usually played in the east and not the west. It's only been played east, west of the Mississippi 11 times and east all the other times. Uh, but uh, Colin Marikar won it last time. Brooks won it the two years before that. And uh, the key is Rory, who's won it twice. And, and in 2012, he won it here, won it in Kiwa by eight strokes. So he is going in as the favorites. Rory is uh, 11 to 1. Justin Thomas, 13 to 1. Rahm and Spieth, 14 to 1. And how about this? 17 to 1. The number one player in the world, Dustin Johnson and Bryson at 17 wow, to 1. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, it's just like, you're just like 17 to 1 to get the number one player in the world and 71 to get like Bryson, but fourth in the world. I mean, that seems. And then 20 to 1, Victor Hovland and Shoffley, who we saw in the Masters. Uh, Morikawa, the defending champion, 25 to 1. And Matsiano is 28 to 1. So uh, this, it's like one of these where I think they feel like, it's almost the field, I guess, on this tournament. Yeah. It's not going to be like, the I mean, again, this is a full field. It's not like the Masters. hundred and some people are going to enter. And it's almost like someone who, like a Sam Burns or a KH Lee is going to win this. Well, I was going to say, Sam Burns gets no uh, no credit here. He's plus 4,000, second place in the Byron Nelson. Two weeks before that, he won the Valspar. So he's playing pretty well <laughs> right now. You'd think he might be a little bit higher. But uh, either way, I'm looking forward to this. Like, the golf course itself is just uh, beautiful. Ira, UFC, we got to talk about it because you said this might be one of your favorite Ever. Lightweight championship is the last decade seems to be Conor McGregor and Khabib. And those have been dominating the whole thing. And this, my, this Charles Oliveri uh, had been wrestling for 10 years and like 20 matches and never got a title shot in lightweight. Never. So he's been ba- in the top 10 up there, he, uh, Oliveira. And he finally got a shot. And it was weird because after Khabib gave up his title, Justin Gaethje should have been the champion. But the way they said it is they want Gaethje to fight Maybe McGregor, like the, the, Gaethje didn't want to be a champion. They had a, a different match for him. So they act, so they said it. This is Oliveri Chandler. Chandler has been in only the UFC for eight months. He came from Bellator, which is another 
promotion, which is less than the UFC. And he'd been champion for a number of years. He's 35 years old. He's from down here in Deerfield Beach. But uh, oh. so they, he came in and I saw him fight a hooker the, a few months ago. Looked fantastic. The odds on this were like dead even coming to this fight. And from the moment it started, I mean, the energy was just both fighters could like that jumping out of the, the, the ring. And they wrestled. They got the first thing. Chandler knocked uh, Oliveira down. And I, it could have been over like in 10 seconds. And then Oliveira wrapped him up. And they were wrestling. And it was like one hold after another hold after another hold. And then finally, at the end of the round, Chandler is pounding Oliveira. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And, and Oliveira is known for he's the best submission hold. He is, uh, he is the best submission artist in MA history. He's the most submission victim victories in the history of the UFC and the most performance bonuses. So he's just, you know, full of excitement. He comes in like dressed like Clark Kent. So they come out for the second round and you think Oliveira is just going to get pummeled this round. And he comes in, just punches Chandler and then knocks him, knocks him out. Like on that fight. It was like, holy cow. And after he punched him, he jumped out of the entire octagon, went into the <laughs> Dana White, just went in. He was bleeding all over his face. So all the people in the front row got his blood. He's running everywhere, <laughs> ran around the crowd. It was so exciting to watch. It was like one of those exciting, just full of energy fight. And Chandler's like, look, I, he's great. And I want another shot. I'm sorry. And, uh, but I love watching that. So was a really good fight. And then uh, Darius and Ferguson went as well. Well, Ferguson is someone who's been one of the top people for, I guess, like five, six, seven years, had lost his last two fights, and then against Darius, uh, just Darius dominated him. And yeah. It's just, you know, like one of these questions where they made a good comment on the fight. It's like some of these fighters like Silva, they're good for so long, and then it just goes so fast. Yeah. Like it doesn't he just go a little his last fight too. Yes, and it's just like just goes fast, and you're waiting for Ferguson to change his trainer, change this, change that and it's like it just went and uh, you know some people it's like you just you know it, it takes some time to you're going from one stage but Ferguson was elite 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 and then he suddenly become gets destroyed by these guys yeah uh, we just got a minute or so left let's talk a little racing well it was at Dover Delaware and it's called the Monster Mile and they give this trophy out of like this monster holding the car and they have to put the car in there and it was the first only the fourth time in the history of NASCAR in the history that uh, a team owner uh, uh, Hendrick Motorsports had uh, Rick Hendrick had the top four uh, racers but Alex Bowman won Kyle Larson who led 263 laps Chase Elliott and William Byron he has four four cars all four drivers, top four, dominated the whole track. It's like they, they had this set up right. They knew what they were going to do. And uh, it gives them 267 wins for Hendrick. And Petty Motorsports is the record in the history of NASCAR 268. He's one away. And Jimmy Johnson, who was another Hendrick driver, had won this 11 times in the 48 car. And that's the car that Alex Bowman drives. So there were 20,000 fans there. Uh, it was an exciting race to watch. It's caught, caught the end of it. And next week, they do a road course in Austin. And then F1 has the famous Monaco Grand Prix, the one where they're riding around and the castles and the water and everything, which is really, which is what made racing. So it's going to be a, a good week for uh, NASCAR. Ira, what's your plans this week? You think you'll make it up to uh, uh, South Carolina? I haven't decided. I don't know. I want to go to hockey tomorrow night and I want to see where the heat are going to be. They're going to probably be in Milwaukee on Saturday to Monday and then feel that. But I, I haven't decided where, where I'm going to go. But I do would like to see the hockey tomorrow night. That That's the one I'm going to go to. <laughs> hockey tomorrow night. We are out of time. Thank you so much to Randy Moeller for popping by. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports. 